I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I'm trying to impart to you something that I've just begun after 64 years of study. I've just really begun to learn in detail. And I'm seeing some things that are just magnificent to see. I'm going to try to talk slow. And I'm going to try to explain in detail. See, I believe in predestination. I believe in the sovereignty of God, that God is over everything. I believe that he's over the numbers in the Bible. He's over the numbers. Let me give you something on numbers, just to show you how, how detailed God is. I believe that 11... And I've done messages on 11 and 2 in the Bible. I've done messages on 7 and 4. 11 and 2 is one of the most interesting things I ever run across. And I haven't really finished it yet. When you look at 11 and 2... When you leave Adam and you go down to Jacob, as we leave Adam, we got to look at Abel, and Abel was second born. And he received the blessing of God because he offered a blood sacrifice. Cain offered the works of his hands. You can't offer the works of your hands. You can't do enough with your hands. He offered the the things that had grew out in his garden. And Jacob was the was the twenty second, twenty second from Adam, in Genesis, the fifth chapter. Yeah, Genesis the fifth chapter. I could go through Enoch. Enoch was the seventh from Adam. And the seventh, seven is a righteous number in Hebrew. Seven is the word Sheba. The queen of Sheba was the queen of seven. Comes from Shabua. Sheba is seven. Shabua means to take an oath to God. It's the word oath in the Old Testament. And when you look at Shabuah, it tells you it means to seven oneself. You have to be seven before you can take an oath to God. That goes along with Second Peter 1 and 5. Besides all this, this goes into something a lot deeper than what I'm going to say. Besides all this, give all diligence, add to your faith. Add and that's not an invitation. That's the word epi, C-H-O-R-E-G-E-O. Epicoregio, epi, when you see epi, it means over on top of. Or it means to superimpose or cover something with the coregio, C-H-O-R-E-G-E-O. Coregio comes from koros, which is a circular dance. Anago means to lead. It's a circular dance leader. We call that in our society a choreographer. And that's 
the dance of God is these seven things. It starts off with virtue, goes into knowledge, and then it goes into temperance, goes into all of these various things, uh, patience, godliness, uh, then brotherly kindness, and then a, then charity or agape. Now, these are not choice. Epicoregio doesn't sound like ad, but it's an imperative mood. That means it is a command from God that all of God's people seven themselves. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Those are the things you add. Well, over in the Old Testament, you've got Jacob was the 11th and he was second born. Jacob and Esau were born, and God loved Jacob and hated Esau before they were born. And 22 is 2 times 11, and he was second born. Now, this goes all the way through the Bible. When when Joseph was sold into Egypt, 20 years later, his brothers come over. Joseph was the 11th son of Jacob. Jacob's sons were were all the way down through and Jake and Joseph was the eleventh son of Jacob. He sold in this has a dual eleven and two here because Jacob's second born son or excuse me, Joseph's second born son was given the inheritance of all Israel. His name was Ephraim. You can see Ephraim receiving the inheritance. That goes into a deep study. Inheritance in Genesis 48. 48th chapter. So the that's 11 and 2. When Joseph was in Egypt and his brothers came over, being the 11th born, and you start off with Jacob's sons. You can find his sons in the 29th and 30th chapter. And the sons are numbered. Leah is was his first wife. Rachel was his second wife. And he loved Rachel. Leah, his father-in-law, Laban, tricked him and gave him Leah one night when it was dark. And he had worked seven years for Rachel. And he said, what I need to do to get Rachel? He said, work seven more years. Seven is the number of refinement. It means to refine oneself. That's why you got all those sevens through Revelation. And then you had Leah, Rachel. And then Rachel was barren. And she said, I want a handmaiden, Bilhah. And a handmaiden was a concubine. That's a secondary wife. She can also bear children. So Bilhah begins to have children and she bears them upon Rachel's knees when when they're born. To bear upon the knees means I'm going to give you the son. And she has, and then Leah says, well, she has four sons. Leah's, the first sons born were born to Leah. And she had Reuben. And she had Simeon. 
That's her second born. Does he play into this 11 and 2? Oh, absolutely. He plays into the 11 and 2. And then Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Out of Judah would come the king. Out of Levi would come the priesthood. Simeon was a rascal. Boy, I will get into him later. (laughs) He wasn't a guy you could trust. Well, when Jacob was carried off, Jacob, not Jacob, Joseph, he was carried off into Egypt, and his brothers came over to get grain from him. That was a great, a great uh, famine in the land, and they went over there. Joseph, and how did they not recognize him? Joseph was 20 years older. He probably had one of those Egyptian square beards and a cobra on his head and and had that hair of an Egyptian. He looked like an Egyptian. And he spoke to his brothers through a translator. He didn't talk to them directly. He actually talked to the translator and he'd tell them, well, when they all left to go back, he said, I want you to go get, go get this younger brother you've told me about, which was Joseph's full brother. He was the, he was the son of Rachel. In the meantime, Leah says, I want by my handmaiden, Zilpah. She was the handmaiden of, of Leah. Bilhah was the handmaiden. <clears throat> of Rachel when Joseph was over in Egypt when he's in Egypt and his brothers are going back home he said I want you to go get that 12th son that was Benjamin that was Joseph's full brother but he said when you're going back until you come back over here I want to hold on to this Simeon the second born Simeon, that's 11 and 2. Do you believe God is that mathematical? Oh, absolutely. When the high priest put on his breastplate, he had 12 stones, one for each tribe of Israel. The 11th stone was an onyx. 11th stone was an onyx. And there he had a had an onyx on each shoulder. One, two, eleven, and two. The Bible is very interesting when you get into numbers. Now, there's so much, so much of this. Jesus in the Gospels names the apostles. Two times he names the apostles. And he starts off and he says in the first numbering, he said you had had you had Simon Peter. And he names down the apostles. And when he gets to the eleventh He has Simon the Canaanite. He was not a Jew. The Canaanite. You had, he was the 11th. He had two Simons in the list of the apostles. The next time he names them, 
he names them and the 11th one is Judah not Judah the traitor and he's the 11th and then you had two Judas you had Judah and then you had Judah Iscariot two of them 11 and 2 one of the most interesting things about the 11 and 2 you say Jim what are you trying to say I'm trying to say I believe everything is mathematically structured in the Bible I didn't get this out of a book I just counted it I've counted so many things and numbers and the the unbelievable thing when you get over here to Acts the second chapter I'm going to get off of this and get back to my subject in a minute. We go to Acts, the second chapter. Judas has killed himself. There's only 11 apostles left. 11 left. You can see Judas killing himself. And 11 are left. There's no more Judas. He kills himself. In the beginning, you'll see an account of it in the beginning of Acts 1. Acts, the first chapter. Do you think all of this is accident, not on your life? Then you see in Acts, the the first chapter, you see Judas' death here. And uh, here in in verse 16, Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spoke. This is the 109th Psalm it's referring to. Before the concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus, for he was numbered. He was numbered with us. He was He was number 12 and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with a reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch that the field is called in their proper tongue, a seldoma, that is to say, the field of blood. And then it quotes out of that verse in the 109th Psalm. For it is written in this book of Psalms 109, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric or his office let another take. But there's 11 left, right? That's all that's left. And then it goes on down. And they appointed two. I wonder if this has anything to do with the eleven and two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Mattathias. Mattathias was named second. They got eleven left, and he's the second one named, and they cast lots. Verse 26, and they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, the second one mentioned, 11 and 2. You think it's all an accident? No. 
Numbers are extremely important in the Bible. I do a teaching on gematria, and people have said, that's Kabbalah. No, it's not. You're ignorant. That's simply when the when these when these uh, alphabets were created, all the people numbered the numbers. The alpha was one, beta was two, the gamma was three, the delta was four. When it went all the way up to ten, then it went from ten, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty. A hundred, and then a hundred, two hundred, three hundred. And you find the Bible is packed full of these gematria. I got books on gematria, and I've done a lot of these things myself. I wasn't planning on doing this today, but I think I'll show you one thing about gematria. Go over here in Romans. In Jewish Gematria, Romans 8, this is Gematria. Don't sell this short. This is just like the numbers. I do 7 and 4. 7 and 4 go together constantly. I'll show one thing about 7 and 4. In Leviticus, the 26th chapter... Leviticus 26. God says, if you're disobedient to me, I will send the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast. And he names four times. One, two, three, four. He says four times, if you're disobedient, I will punish you. Seven times. Seven being the number of completion. Or Sheba. Or to seven oneself. I'll punish you seven times for your sin. He says that four times. And he names the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast. Seven and four. He says that four times in Leviticus. I was talking about God feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes one time. And one guy said, well, he fed 4,000. Well, I said, you're right, he did. He fed 4,000. This is in Mark 8. With seven loaves of broken bread. I won't go into that any more than just to say that'll challenge you to thinking. Any multiple of ten, a hundred, a thousand, they said was a form of the original number seven and four. Seven and four. See, I don't believe just we were preordained for eternal life. I believe we were mathematically preordained. I've been somewhat of a mathematician all my life. I have, don't have the education Mike has. He's got a master's degree in it. But I would love to go back and study it again, but I'm too old to do that now. So I just, when I first heard predestination, I loved mathematics in school. I loved um, algebra and geometry. I mean, I just loved it. I was 
I don't mean it in a boast, but I was always the top student in the math class because I believed it mattered. And I believe it matters in the Bible. Mathematics, in, when I first heard of, I quote, Romans eight twenty nine, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. I felt like he had knocked me down. I'd never heard that in my life, and my father was a Baptist preacher. Never heard it. And he walked away, and I said, you can't walk away after you say that. You've got to stop. And I wrestled with that about three days. I said, if this is true, and it is, then God has to mathematically structure everything in the Bible. Now, I'm going to give you one thing here in Matthew, and then I'll get on back to my regular teaching. Romans. Romans. Did I say what I say, Matthew? Romans 8. Romans 8. This may take... I'm not going to try not to be a little while. I'm going to get back to my normal subject. Romans 8. In verse 17, well, let me read 16 to 17. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. Oh, boy, I'd love to go into the bear witness. I don't have time. That we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and joint heirs, joint heirs with Christ. Let me explain something to you. The heir... In Israel, one coming from the womb was called a fish. The reason being, in the woman's belly, woman's belly, it was in the belly. Here we are with sevens and fours again. Forty sevens 40 weeks it was in the belly they called the air in Israel a fish because it was in that lake in the woman's belly for 40 sevens the word air that's what they called the air was a fish it is a Christian symbol, but it's a pagan symbol also. I'm not going to go into that right now. The word joint heir in this verse. Here's the word. S-U-G-K-L-E-R-O-N-O-M. O-I-S-U-G-K-L-E-R-O-N-O-M-O-I. Sug. Sug is a form of su or sum. And that means to blend with. Blend with. It means to mesh together. There's a a synonym for that. It's not completely the same. Meta. 
anytime you find meta metanoia n o i a means to think with that's the word repent we have to think with the inner man christ well this word soon clara no more it totals a thousand seventy one in the greek language that's what it totals i'm not going to go through each one of the letters but that's what it totals the 1071 is 7 times 153 7 times 153 i want us to look at the last chapter of john the last chapter of the Gospel of John. All right. John 21. Jesus has resurrected from the dead. And you can call this anything you want to call it. It is mathematically exact. And when you say, I don't believe in predestination, you don't believe God is sovereign. Sovereign means over everything. 21. Jesus is resurrected. He goes to the apostles in northern Israel. And Peter starts sounding off and saying something with his foot in his mouth usually. And after these things, Jesus showed himself again to disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Tiberias was another name since Tiberias had been the emperor of Rome recently. Tiberias, they had renamed the Sea of Galilee the Sea of Tiberias, and that's where Jesus and the apostles were after his resurrection. On this wise showed he himself, and there were together Simon Peter, one, Thomas called Didymus, two, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, he was also called Bartholomew, three, and the sons of Zebedee, you have to know that that's James and John, five, and two other disciples, seven, are going fishing. Exactly seven. So they go fishing, and that night they caught nothing. And when morning was come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus, because he had resurrected from the dead. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and so shall you find, and they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw. The word is helco. It's interesting to know. It means to drag in. Helco. Means to drag in. Same word that Jesus used when he said, No man can come to me, John six forty four, except my father which has saw me. Hey, call me, drag him in, Helco. And then he goes on to say, let's read down here and look in verse 11. 
So they cast their net where Jesus said, and they draw in a great catch. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty-three. How many people are fishing that day? Seven. Seven times 153 is 1,071. Seven fishermen. Seven fishermen catch 153 fish. Mike was teaching up at Vol State. He's teaching algebra up there. And I asked Mike, I said, would you go by their library and see if they've got some... If they have a mathematical book on origins of numbers, he went in there and they had a couple of books. He bought one for me and one for him. It's Etymology of Mathematics. When you look up narcissistic numbers, narcissistic, Narcissus was a was a god in the ancient world. He went and looked into a pool and he fell in love with himself to the point that he couldn't go eat and he just sat there and washed himself and he died. That's a narcissistic person. It's one that is into themselves. And it tells you about narcissistic numbers and it says in this math book, has nothing to do with Christianity. They'll tell you there's a couple of numbers that are narcissistic, and they say 153 is one of those numbers. What do you mean it's narcissistic? It's into itself. What you do is you take 1 to the third power plus 5 to the third power plus 3 to the third power. One time, one time, one is one. Five times five times twenty-five is a hundred and twenty-five. Three times three is nine times three is twenty-seven. When you add this up, it reduces to one fifty-three. It's into itself. That's a narcissistic number. Now that's amazing, isn't it? You mean God didn't ordain all this? It's accidentally happening? Oh, guess what? When Jesus took the bread in John 6, the loaves of bread, and we being there, one bread and one body, the loaves is the word artos, A-R. T O S. Artos is the word loaf. It adds up to 153. Josiah in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, Josiah had the greatest revival ever in Israel in the 23rd chapter of 2 Kings. Josiah. Josiah adds up to 1,071, or 7 times 153. Now, if you think all that is coincidental, you really don't believe that God is in charge of numbers in the Bible. 
That's all I'm going to give you on this. That's enough. That's enough. Sinclair no more. Claire, by the word, the word kleros, kleros, kleros is the word inherit. We've obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. Ephesians 1 and 11. All right. Let me get back to my regular message. So when these things begin to come together, how much time did I take doing that, Mike? An hour left. 30 minutes. That's good. I'm on a, I'm, I have studied some things. I believe everything is structured mathematically. I believe when you find the meaning of a word, it means the same thing every time you see it. I've been talking about unbelief. I've found the way to realize what belief is, is study unbelief. Unbelief is the word A-P-I-S-T-I-S. Apistis. The word believe, believe, is the word P-I-S-T-E-U-O. Pistuo. The stem of the word is the first part of the word that does not change. Word endings are changed, or there is prefixes put on a word to show something specific about the word. The word faith, this confused me when I was a kid. My father would quote Romans, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then he would quote the Philippian jailer, Paul to the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. And when the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And he would say, believe. And I thought, how can you have faith and believe being the method of salvation at the same time? It's because they are basically the same word. In the Greek, you have a noun, and you have a verb form many, many times. Well, believe is the verb form of faith, the noun. Faith is the word P-I-S-T-I-S. You can see the stem of the word is the same as the stem on believe. If believe is a verb, that's what you do. Right? He that doeth truth cometh to the light. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, 1 John 3 and 7. And John, it's funny that John said, John spoke of these things as much as anybody. We're not saved by works, but we are saved by working faith. I've, it puzzled me as a kid. I didn't know how you had faith. God has to put it in your heart. When the Bible says faith is the gift of God, not not of works, gift is the word doron. It doesn't mean, that's the word gift. It doesn't mean something wrapped up with a ribbon on it. 
It's the gift because it means a sacrifice. God has to put it in your heart to give up self and sacrifice self. That's what faith is. Faith is the substance. Hypostasis. It's under hopo. Stasis means to stand. It's understanding. But the Bible says there's none that understands and there's none that seeks after God in Romans the third chapter. Nobody seeks God. If you have an understanding, God's got to give that to you. It's a gift in your heart. And faith is understanding. And this is my favorite This is my favorite equation in the Bible. Faith equals understanding. And God has to put it there if you understand. And if you understand, you learn. You're a learner. That's the word disciple. And the word in the Greek is mathetes. That's the word disciple. It comes from, we get our word mathematics from that. Amathes, A-M-A-T-H-E-S, means someone who does not learn. The alpha in front of a word as a negative particle negates the word and gives an opposite meaning. That means you can't learn. Well, if you're a learner... If you're a learner, the Bible says you cannot be a disciple of mine. And Luke 14, 23 or 27. You cannot be my disciple without a daily cross. So a daily cross is a disciple, a learner. And that makes you understand, and that's what faith is. So faith has to be the gift that God puts into your heart. Everything, and the word unbelief, unbelief, is the word A-P-I-S-T-I-S. It means no faith. That's the alpha privative. Every time you find, well, except twice when you find unbelief in the Bible, I've got to tell you this. It means the same thing. I don't know how I can get all this over. In one, I can't in one lesson. I believe everything, when you're studying the Bible, you have to study it mathematically. Everything must add up. If it doesn't add, you know what this does to the Bible? Makes it very interesting. It's more interesting than people have any idea. Now, look back over here. Did did I tell you to go somewhere? I don't think I did. So faith is what we do. Faith without works is dead faith. And everybody say, well, faith is not of works lest any man should boast. It's not of your works, but it is of God's works. It has to be God working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's what faith is. So if faith 
my father would quote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. He would never quote 2, 10. All Baptists quote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, but they never quote verse 10. We are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship. God's workmanship. Created in, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. I keep saying this. The good works, good is the word agathos, A-G-A-T-H-O-S. That's the same word in Romans 8 and 28. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good, agathos. To them that love God, to them who are thee called, and the called is the church. The called. The kaleo. Everything works together for the church. The kaleo. Because church is the word ek kaleo. Called out. Ek. E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A. Which comes from ek. Out. And kaleo, called. So everything works together for good unto them who are the called. There's only one called, and that's the church, the ecclesia, the called out of God. We're called out of this world to live righteously and godly. Now, where was I? We're created in Christ Jesus unto good works, agathos works, beneficial works. I keep saying, I've said this a thousand times here, you've got works of self-righteousness, self-righteousness, you've got works of ritual, you go to some church and listen to a boring preacher say boring things to you and you can't even remember what he said when you leave, right? I used to go to one of those churches and me and the guys get out in the parking lot and say, can you remember what the preacher talked about? We'd say, no, can't. I was going there to get business in real estate. I wasn't going there to learn. So you have self-righteous works, ritual works, and you have God working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. God working. Now, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to good works, which God hath before ordained, pro. E-T-O-I-M-A-Z-O. Proitoimazo comes from pro, meaning before. That's our word pre. Before. And that happened before the foundation of the world. Pro, before. And hetoimas. H-E-T-O-I-M-A-S is the word fit up. God fitted us up in advance that we should walk in the good works of God. And that's the word, whether you like it or not. So he's before ordained that we should walk in these good works of God. Walk in. And that has to do with belief or unbelief. Unbelief is not obeying God. There's a word 
that's kin to this word unbelief. In fact, it's translated it's translated over here in it's translated in uh, in Hebrews four as unbelief. I'll give you that in a moment. I got so many papers out here I can't get to all of them. Alright. And that word is apatheia. This is equal to A P I T H E I A P I T H E I A A P E excuse me. A P E T H E I A A P E T H E I A it's a construction of the alpha primitive and P A T H E I A that's the word apathia A P A T H E I A it comes from the word pathia And pathia means to persuade. To persuade. The alpha in front of pathia means unpersuadable. The people could not be persuaded when they were going up here and they were in the wilderness and they were told by Moses to go in there and spy out the land of Anak. And they said, we can't conquer those. Those are giants. They're over nine feet tall. Uh, their ancestor, it was ancestor of Goliath. We can't kill those people. And the, the third and fourth chapter of Hebrews is about that. Let me show you something here. So this means unpersuadable. In fact, in the second chapter of 1 Corinthians, when Paul said, I did not come to you, I came to you with plainness of speech. I did not use persuasive pathia, P-A-T-H-E-I-A. I did not use persuasive words. This word apathia is a synonym, and you can see that in Hebrews, the third and fourth chapter. Let me show you something here. You've got to, when you're going to match up one word and another, it either has to refer to the other word as an equivalent, or it has to have a definition just like it. Apathia and apistus, according to the third and fourth chapter, have basically the same meaning. When you look at, let's go over to the third chapter of, third chapter of Hebrews. Third chapter. If you're unpersuadable, they could not be persuaded to go up there and attack the people at Anak. The Anakims were real tall people. They were real powerful, real strong. And only Caleb and Joshua said, we'll go up there and attack them. 
So God spared their life, and everybody 20 years old and upward, as of that provocation toward God, God killed them in the wilderness over the next 40 years. A year for a day that they had spied out the land. They spied the land out for 40 days. And God says, everybody 20 years old and upward has to die. That was there at Kadesh Barnea. And that's what this is about over here in Hebrews. And it will tell you. I'll give you twice the word twice the word apistus for unbelief is used. And it says provoking when they provoke God, they angered God because they wouldn't believe him that this applies to our life. When you have an enemy that's a giant that you cannot conquer, you have to believe that God's in charge and he'll conquer the giant. Maybe your job, may the boss be the boss on your job. He may be unbearable. Just do your duty, do your job, do what you're supposed to do, and don't fight him. You cannot fight. There's an old saying, you can't fight City Hall. You can't fight the boss in charge. Some people haven't learned that. It was a time that I wanted to fight the boss. (laughs) And you can't do that. You do that. You're going to get fired. I had a guy threaten to fire me one time because I was, I was working on assembly line in 1961. And he said, if you keep preaching, I'm going to fire you. But I worked so hard. I was the, one of the fastest men on the line. He didn't want to fire me. He'd want to fire anybody else but me. He always put me up the front of the line because I could feed the line so fast they couldn't keep up with it. But when I left, he said, if you ever want a job, you got one here. <laughs> the guy that threatened to fire me for preaching to people. Because I did, I believe Christians should do the best job of anybody. And that's what I always was. I was a hard, hard worker. If it was physical work or if it was mental work, I did the best I could. Now look here, back here to Hebrews. I've got to show you this so you can see. Apatheia and apistus have basically the same meaning. Here in Hebrews, the third chapter, twice this word apistus is mentioned. And then in, and then in, uh, Twice in chapter 4, apathia is mentioned. But it's referring to the same thing. It's referring to Israel provoking God in the wilderness because they said, we can't go out there and fight those giants. I can't fight my boss. You're not supposed to. We said earlier that you're not supposed to be fighting. You're not supposed to be arguing with people with your orgay. You're not supposed to be doing that. So here in Hebrews, he's talking about, it's taken me a long time to get through this. Because when you're reading the third chapter of Hebrews, it's talking about, starting in that eighth verse, it's talking about this right here. Here's the Sinai Peninsula. Israel is coming out of Egypt. They come out about 14... Uh, 40 B.C. 
and they come down and they go down to Mount Sinai, get the law of God, and then God leads them out and numbers the 10th chapter, and they come up to Kadesh Barnea, and they're still there when God tells them to go in and conquer this land. We call it the Gaza Strip. And in the time of Christ, it was called, or the time of David, it was called the land of the Philistines. It's the land of Anak this far back. And the Anakims were these gigantic men. And they went in and spied the land out for 40 days. And they come back and told Moses, we cannot conquer these people. Everybody except Caleb and Joshua. God said, just for that, the only two men that live in the promised land that's over 20 years old will be Caleb and Joshua. All the rest are going to die in the wilderness. I've said that's a picture of God killing off. If it's us in life, it's God killing off the outer man. We we have the outer man that serves the law of the flesh. And we have the inner man, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I begin to see something this week that really cleared things up. The inner man, I put Christmas there. <laughs> Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The inner man is at war with the outer man all of our life. And as you get older, you overcome The inner man, Christ, will conquer the outer man. When you get old, you'll still have a thin veneer of self. When you first come to the knowledge of Christ as a believer, most of yourself, most of this man is filled with self, with covetousness, with idolatry. It's filled with rage. It's filled with envy and strife. And God has to, over the years, burn out that outer man that wants to control your life when you get old like me you come up and you say i don't want to fight nobody no more and i don't want a new car i don't want anything why would i want a new car at 81 years old what for to show off and i'm up here preaching about debts of self and daily cross and self-denial and i got a big diamond ring on my little pinky finger and you're going to believe me when i say that if somebody wants to give me a diamond ring, please do. I'll sell it and put it in the building fund, okay? <laughs> That's all I do with it. I certainly wouldn't wear it. When God really began to deal with my heart years ago, I used to have diamonds and everything else all over me, and I took them all off, and I gave them to Mary. I said, do with that whatever you want to. And she had a jewelry box open the other day, and I saw some old rings in there. I don't want them. After I get through telling people daily cross debt to self-self-denial and you have to be hated by the world, what good am I going to do wearing some diamond ring or driving a brand new supercar out in the driveway? I don't need a car. I got a 20-year-old RAV. I got an 11-year-old Mini Cooper. I got a 2004 pickup. And they haven't got many miles on them. i got enough cars to last me the rest of my life. Why do I need a new Cadillac? For what? To show off? That, let me tell you something. Fancy cars are for one thing. To boast. That's all they're for. I know I bought a brand new town car in 1987. 
and somebody with a town car would drive up beside me and mine was really nice carriage roof all white leather interior with blue piping around it it was a special edition somebody driving me to the town car and I'd say they got a town car but theirs is not as nice as mine I'd actually think that how stupid was I dumb all a car you know what a car is for me now get it for me from this place over there that's it that's what it's for when you learn to witness everywhere you go and I witness to my doctors I don't mean this in a boast I don't twist their arms behind their back I believe that they're elect they have ears to hear I just tell them the truth and they'll do what they want with the truth or God will put it in their hearts to do with what they want don't don't try to get anybody to believe or commit anything to Christ I just tell people the truth and that's it I never get tired of talking about the word of God my mind is overflowing with these words let me show you these twice the word in Hebrews 3 12 and 19 you have the word apistus Hebrews 3 12 and 19 you have a p i s t i s no faith and it's a reference to these people that are supposed to go up here and attack the land of Anak this was a reference to I'll read I'll read that verse one more time harden not your hearts verse 8 as in the provocation when they provoke God in the wilderness first of all they provoke God because they wouldn't go into the land. And they provoked God because they were griping about Aaron and Moses. You brought us out here to die, Moses and Aaron, your older brother. We're going to die in the wilderness. We ain't got no water. We ain't got no food. So God supplied them with manna in the morning and doves in the evening. Gave them food. Their feet didn't, their feet did not swell up. They were in 125 and 30 degrees heat. Their shoes did not wear out over 40 years. They had a cloud by day and a fire by night to lead them. And they got their water out of a rock. The Bible refers to Christ as being the rock in the wilderness. He was in a sense because he was the one that was leading the people. And he says here, Harden not your hearts as in the provocation. And then in verse 12, he says, Take heed, brethren, that there be not in, be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. There's Apistus, A-P-I-S-T-S. No faith, that's what they didn't have in the wilderness. In departing from the living God. Now, he keeps saying you cannot enter into Katapasis, rest. Katapasis. And his references to 
the promised land and that's God is referring to the promised land as their Sabbath and we're going to see that in chapter 4 chapter 4 it's going to take me some time to get through this because I'm going to tell you what your Sabbath is and how you rest and what you give up to rest. It's a spiritual resting. But it's something you stop doing physically. What you give up, I won't say that yet. <laughs> the Sabbath in chapter 4 will tell you the promised land is your katapasis. And it talks about the S-A-B-B-A-T-O-N. Sabaton is referring to the God of Pauses. Pauses come from the Lord Pause and Kautal meaning down. It means to settle down. And he's saying some of you are not going to get into the promised land when they get up here right above Moab and the Jordan River runs from the Sea of Galilee down into the Dead Sea here. And right above the Dead Sea is where they cross the river after 40 years in the wilderness. And they camp and camp at a... They go in and attack Ai and Jericho. They can camp in a town called Gilgal. Gilgal is very important to understand. Gilgal. That's the first place they encamped when they got into the promised land. But they're not there yet. We're talking about we're talking about how they're going to enter into their Sabbath. Then when you go over then you go into verse nineteen. Five, uh, excuse me, verse 19 says, So we see they could not enter in into what? Into the rest of verse 18. To whom swear he that they could not enter into the Karapasis, but to them that believed not that they could conquer the giants. That is talking to us about we don't think we can conquer the giants in our life. Has anybody have anything that's been overwhelming you thought, I can't get around this? I can't conquer this. Have you ever had that? Boy, I have. In 68, 69, 70, 71, I thought my life was going to end. I can't get over this. I can't conquer this. And you know what that's like to think about those days right now? That's like pouring a glass of water on the ground out here in the parking lot. So, Jim, somebody poured a glass of water on the ground. That don't mean nothing to me. 1968, 69, 70, and 71 means nothing now. Zero. Well, those that could not are into the cot apostles, but to them that believed not, believed not as apistas, they did not believe God would lead them through those giants. Then we have twice the word apatheia is mentioned, and it's mentioned in 
chapter 4. Let's read down to it. Hebrews 4 and 1. I haven't gone through this thoroughly. Let us therefore fear. What are we going to fear? That we won't enter into our Sabbath? Our rest? Sabbath means rest. That's what Sabbath means. It doesn't mean seventh. It means rest. It's amazing. God took the seventh day. And seven means to completion. Let us fear lest a promise being left us of entering into God's cataposis, settling down. Any of you should seem to come short of this cataposis. What do you have to do to enter the cataposis? Believe God. For unto us was the gospel preached. Death to self, daily cross, self-denial is the gospel. It's a blood baptism. John came preaching the baptism of repentance, which was prepare you the way. One word for way, hodos. And the Bible says it is narrow. That's the gospel, the narrow way. And then over in Mark, the first chapter, the first couple of verses, the beginning of the gospel is prepare you the way. So the way is the gospel, and it's a blood baptism. Luke 3 and 3 says the baptism is the gospel. It's not water. It's blood. A blood baptism was a death. That's death to self. And when self dies, you're entering into the Sabbath. The more you believe God is doing everything, the evil included, I had people write to me and say, what does this mean God creates evil? If you can believe that evil is created for your good, Mike played a, one of my DVDs the other night on the, on the TV, and I watched it. I thought, boy, that is really good. I preached on, the title of it is, God Puts Us Through Evil. What was that? So that we would... God creates evil. It's for our good. When he said, I make peace and create evil. Evil is the word raw. Some people try to get around that by saying, well, that just means calamity. You're right, it means calamity. But it's the same word, evil, from one end of the Old Testament to the other. It's the same word as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that Adam was not to partake of. Same word. Certainly means calamity. Is it calamity when some guys get in a in a plane and crash into the World Trade Center, murdering everybody on the plane and murdering people in the building. Is that calamity? Yeah. Murder was happening and calamity was happening. Let's get back to this. For unto us the gospel was preached. That's death to self. As well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, those people that were murmuring against God in the wilderness. They were in the narrow way out there. That's the gospel. But being mixed, not being mixed with faith. It wasn't faith. It was apistus. It was unbelief. It was apistus. 
no faith and the Bible says it was unbelief when you look over there in uh, back talking about the I believe it was in the in the 20th the 32nd chapter of Deuteronomy it's talking about that provocation y'all realize how much it takes to preach this book of Hebrews you have to go into all of these things Hebrews 32 this is in reference to it's in reference to the Israel provoking God when they're there in Numbers 13 and 14 this is in Deuteronomy the 32nd chapter he's referring back to that provocation in verse 19 when the Lord saw it he abhorred Israel because of the provoking of his sons and of his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from Israel. I will see what their end shall be. But they are a very forward generation. Tapuka means to twist the word of God. Children in whom is no faith. Translated into the New Testament, it would be unbelief. No faith. Apistus. Now let's go back over to Hebrews 4. Takes a lot to teach this. And then he says, not being mixed with faith. For we which believe do enter into belief is entering in we enter into God's Sabbath and he's going to call it he's going to call this rest the Sabbath further in this chapter we enter into rest and in verse 6 let's read down to 6 unbelief is translated, and this is a reference back to it's this unbelief in the fourth chapter refers back. Apistus is no faith, no faith. And in this chapter, chapter four, apatheia is referring back to Apistus. So this would be the same thing as Apistus. Apatheia. No persuading. In fact, the word Apatheia, most of the time it's used in the Bible, it's, it is translated disobedience. Now I'm going to try in these next few weeks. How much time do I have, Mike? I'm not going to be able to get to where I want to go. Maybe I'll just kind of introduce you to it. Let me read on down here. We which have believed do enter into God's katapasis, rest. As he said, as I have sworn in the wrath, not my wrath, the wrath. It's the wrath of the people when they said, let's kill Moses and Aaron for bring us out here to die they were murmuring against God they was murmuring against his leaders watch out if you murmur against me if I'm God's preacher 
You'll, God will get you for that. I won't get you. I won't do nothing to you. But God will get you. If I'm God's messenger and you're giving me a hard time, I'm warning you what God will do to you. If they shall enter into my catapostas, my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. It's all been done since the world began. Then he connects the Sabbath with catapostas in this next verse, next three verses. And he spake in a certain place, of a seventh day on this wise, and God did catapostas on this seventh day. So that's where I keep saying, God rested. You have the word in the Old Testament. You have the word nuach. Which means to rest. We get the word Noah from that. means to rest and Job said if I had died from my mother's womb then would I have been at Newark at rest he said that in the third chapter of Job he wasn't resting in the third chapter he was weary and sad and crying and that's when he was putting ashes all over his head because he was mourning over seven sons and three daughters having been killed by God. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord took away. The Bible says that all this Job sinned not with his lips, nor charged God foolishly. God says he tells the truth about me. I killed his sons and daughters. I had the Sabians come in and take away his camels, and all these thieves come in and steal all of his cattle. And my fire fell from heaven. The fire of God fell from heaven. It was all for Job's good. Now, where was I? Verse 4. Verse 4. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day. God caught up the seventh day. He settled down. He paused. It comes from the word pause means to stop. You couldn't do anything on the seventh day. You couldn't drive a car or ride a donkey. You had to stay in your house according to the 16th chapter of Exodus. And in the place again, if they shall enter into my catapostas. He's referring the catapostas to what you do on the Sabbath. But your Sabbath, the Sabbath is... The only thing that was kept was the spirit of the law. The law was in the law was in the spirit and the letter. The letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. Everything that was in the letter or the ritual was blotted out. That was that was when the Bible says Colossians two fourteen, blotting out the handwriting of rituals. Everything you did on the Sabbath was blotted out. But you have a spiritual Sabbath where you don't do any work in it. But the work is sin. We'll see that in this chapter. In this place again, if they shall enter, he says in verse 4, and this... In this place again, if they will enter into my rest, my God apostles, seeing therefore if it remaineth 
that some must enter therein. He's talking about entering into the rest of God. But it's not a seventh day rest. It's an everyday rest by belief. And they to whom it was first preached, the rest was preached to the God, the people in Israel. Not in because entered not in because now it says they didn't enter in in the previous chapter because of opistus right unbelief now he says here they don't enter in because of apatheia they couldn't be persuaded no persuasion so therefore apatheia and opistus have the same meaning don't they same meaning because he calls it apistus in the third chapter, he calls it apatheia in the fourth chapter. So apatheia, no persuasion, is no faith. Right? Can y'all see that? Is that hard to see? Then he says, again, he limiteth a certain day, saying, in David today, after so long a time as it is said today if you will hear his voice harden not your hearts the hardening of the heart there's several words for harden I'm not going to get into right now for if Jesus had given them rest then would he not afterwards have spoken of another day if it had given them rest in the wilderness. These two chapters, this is all it's talking about, is the people in the wilderness. The wilderness is our world. They were called out of Egypt. We are the called, the ecclesia called out of this world to live righteously and believe God. It's all about belief and unbelief. But what is this Sabbath we enter into? Wasn't the Sabbath the day they quit working? They cease their labor. This is going to tell you right here. Sing therefore, verse 6. I've already read this. They could not enter in because of unbelief. It equates this word, apatheia, with apistus in the previous chapter, doesn't it? Again, he limits a certain day, saying in David today... After so long a time, as it is said, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. If they would have heard his voice in the wilderness, they would have realized he destroyed Pharaoh's army just a few months before this. And he certainly could destroy giants in the land. But they come back murmuring against God, murmuring against Moses. And if Jesus had given them rest... Then would he not afterwards have spoken of another day? Then he says, There remaineth therefore the rest of God, the rest of the people of God. That word rest is not the word God apostles. That word is the word sabbatismos. There remaineth yet a Sabbath. And he's going to describe it in this next couple of verses. What did they do on the Sabbath? Nothing. They had to stop and rest. 
Now watch what he says. Verse 10, For he that has entered into his sabbatismos, rest, which is what he calls his Sabbath, he also hath ceased. Katapasis is the word ceased. He stopped from his own works. If you enter into God's rest, you're going to cease from your own Ergon. Ergon is a common word that means labor. You will cease to work in your true Sabbath. What are those works? That word is ergon. means to toil. We're in a spiritual Sabbath now. Every day it's by believing God. He ceased from his own works as God did from his. What are your works? It's the works of the flesh, the ergon of the flesh. As God did his, let us labor. I thought you were supposed to stop working on the Sabbath. You are. Therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example as those people in the previous chapter in unbelief. Well, what are the works of man that he ceases in his Sabbath? Let's go to Galatians. Here it is right here. Same word. Galatians. Galatians, the fifth chapter. Every time you find the word works in the New Testament is this word ergon. That is common labor of a man out there in a field or whatever he's doing, ergon. We get the word E N E R G. E-O-N. Energion is a form of ergon and in. It means to labor in. When the Bible says it is God that worketh in you, it's this word, energion. It means to labor within you. That is the Sabbath we are in. You're not going to get the Baptist or the Seventh-day people, when you get over here into Galatians, the fifth chapter, the Bible will tell you. Let's start reading in verse 17. This is the battle we are in. We've got to stop our fighting people. We've got to be gentle and kind and tender-hearted. And it's going to tell you that in this chapter. Verse 17. Well, let's read 16. This I say that walk in the Spirit. Oh, that's the outer man. This Holy Spirit's truth. You shall not fulfill the lust, epithumia. That's your work that you have to cease. Epithumia. Thumia 
comes from the word thumos, means to breathe hard after. Epi means to cover your life with breathing hard. I, I want that. I want her. I want that car. I want, I, I want that house. I, I want what I want. I'll get three jobs to have it. And there's no rest in that, is there? None. How do I know? I've been there. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit. This is that battle between the outer and the inner man. The outer man serves the lust of the flesh, the epithumia of the flesh. It means to long for that which is forbidden. It's forbidden us to long after things that makes us a nervous wreck. And the spirit against the flesh, these are contrary one to another so that you cannot do what you would. If you be led of the spirit... You're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. That word works is the same word in Hebrews. When a man will enter into God's rest, he will cease from his own works in the fourth chapter. And here's the word. Here's what we cease from when we enter into rest with God. We enter into ergon. This word right here, E-R-G-O-N. Here's the works that we stop when we enter into God's Sabbath. I hope I haven't lost you in this. This is so much. It's so tremendous. And i got to go into a whole bunch of chapters to get this over to you. i got to go into not only Galatians 5, but Colossians 3, Ephesians 4. Matthew 5 about the poor in spirit, 2 Corinthians 4. In order to get out of these works, here's what we've got to come to. In order to enter into God's Sabbath, the works of the flesh which are manifest are these. Adultery. Adultery doesn't mean what you think. It's the word moikia, M-O-I-C-H-E-I-A. You stop this. M-O-I. C-H-E-I-A. This is one of the things you stop. M-O-I-C-H-E-I-A. That's not the same word as porne. Porne, Babylon is the mother of harlots. That means idolatry. But it has a lot the same meaning. That's Revelation 17 and 5. So, this word mokia means apostasy. Apostate. A-P-O-S-T-A-T-E. This is the works, the ergon of the flesh. Remember, there's another word for work, poema, P-O-I-E-M-A. That's God working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Poema is not the word ergon. It means to labor and build something beautiful. 
God's works makes us beautiful, and sometimes he brings evil from evil men in our lives to get rid of self in our own lives. Ergod means just to labor. That's a word used for people who labor. Now, that's just the first thing that we've got to give up. Apostate. Apostasis. A removal of standing upright. That means you've got to remove that removal of standing where there's no standing upright. Apostasy. You've got to remove that. When you get rid of that, you're into a portion of the Sabbath, the spiritual Sabbath. And from Stasis, we get Staros. That is the word cross. People that are apostate have removed the daily cross from our life. They don't believe in dying daily. So we have to remove that apostasy in our lives. This is the works of the flesh. The next thing on the list is fornication. That is the word pornea. Means idolatry. You gotta remove that from your life in order to rest. Idolatry. Porne. P O R N E I A. Idolatry. Comes from Ido. And Lolatria. This is what you do. This is the works of the flesh, the ergon of the flesh. And if you're going to enter into God's rest, you've got to remove this stuff. But you can't do it. God has to take years of fire and trials. The trying of your faith works patience. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience. And let patience have its perfect work. Let these things go in your life, Jim Brown. And boy, I've let most of them go. If I hadn't at 81, I'm a real fool. You can't get old and not, as a believer and not let go of these things. So... We have idololatria comes from ido meaning to see, and latrua means to serve. You got to let go of serving what you see in order to enter into God's rest. I'm really resting right now at an old age. I'm resting. I don't want things or stuff. I don't care about nothing. You know what I care about? Stand up here and teaching. My life is pretty boring. You don't want to live with me. I'll bore you to death. Sitting around reading the Bible and studying it. They watch a fight or a football game. But I'm always reading the Bible when I'm doing it. I'm reading something. Me and Mary live a pretty boring life. (laughs) Old people do though, don't they? We do that. And then he says, the next thing you've got to quit doing in order to enter to God's rest, because these are the works of the flesh. And the Bible says in that Hebrews, the third chapter, that if you're going to, you have to cease from your own ergon. And your ergon is the works of the flesh, as God did from his. Well, the next thing you have to quit doing is 
uncleanness. Acathersia, A-K-A-T-H-A-R-S-I-A. A-K-A-T-H-A-R-S-I-A. It comes from catharos, or K-A-T-H-A-R-O-S, which means clean or pure. Clean or pure. The alpha primitive negates that and means no cleanness. What would that be? Jesus ran across a man with an unclean spirit and marked the first chapter. And the Bible calls the same man he had an unclean demon. Unclean demon in Luke the fourth chapter. D-A-I-M-O-N-I-O-N. That word demonion comes from root dio, meaning to distribute fortunes. You can't rest until you quit trying to be rich and be somebody. Distribute fortunes. That's when you get rid of the unclean spirit. That's what you get rid of. I'm out of time, ain't I? I'm going to have to come back to this because this is going to tell you and then we're going to go to the fruit of the Spirit and show you what will make you rest. I hope I've made this clear. It's a lot of stuff to understand. You rest as you get older as a believer. God puts you through so much trial and fire. You're willing to give up sin. When you're young, you want to impress everybody with your car and with your diamond ring, your house. I'm not impressed with anything I've got. I have learned that whatever I have, whatever I've accomplished in life, I'm supposed to lift up the downtrodden, the uncomely parts of the body of Christ. I carry money in my pocket. I never spend it. It's to give to somebody in need. I do everything by credit card. Any money I carry is for people who are really having a hard time that I run run into. It's all it's for. I will say I buy my gasoline, and I should buy it with my credit card, but I buy it with money, and that's all. I never spend any money on anybody for anything. I give it to poor and needy. And that's what it's for. We're going to have to learn to look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. All that money and things and stuff is for is to decorate ourselves so we can impress people. And how can I talk about death to self and daily cross and self-denial? And decorate myself. I even have these bright shirts and I never wear them in public. Never. I always wear a shirt that's got something written on it. God does not love everybody. Predestination is true. If you don't believe it, you're on our Christ. I got that on the back of a shirt. I got on front of a green shirt. Christmas is Roman Catholicism. Then in parentheses it says down at the bottom, I'm not a Roman Catholic. On the back of it, it's got, it's got, it was against the law to celebrate Christmas 300 years ago in America. I know most people can't wear those because they might lose their job. The only person is employing me is me. <laughs> and I'm not going to fire me. I'm actually working for the Lord and he ain't going to fire me.
So it's a real fine line how you can witness on the job. Real fine line. All over you guys, let's pray. Lord, thank you for these truths. I don't even know what to ask you for, Lord. Just I pray that you'll strengthen the sheep that's associated with this ministry. Lord, lead us to your elect family and open up doors for the ministry. Supply all of our needs. Deal with men's hearts to help supply this ministry. Fight our battles. Lord, cause us to cease from our own works. In Christ's name we pray, man. Boy, there's so much to this, I can't get to all of it. It's actually the inner and the outer man. It's what it is.